Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Join us every other Wednesday when we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science, as well as the ins and outs of Good Dog and how our platform can help you successfully run your breeding program. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Good Dog Pod, where we discuss all things related to canine health, research, how Good Dog helps breeders run their breeding programs, and so much more. I'm Nicole, the breeder community lead here at Good Dog, and I'm back with you with another breeding-focused episode to share some more business information with you on how to improve how you run your programs and also share what we're working on here at Good Dog. For this week's episode, I'm joined by a very special guest, Sammy Simon, who is one of our product managers here at Good Dog. And today we'll be lifting the curtain to reveal the behind the scenes work we do at Good Dog to bring our breeders applicants from all over the country. We'll discuss the fascinating and sometimes confusing world of search engine optimization and how our team's expertise in not only navigating, but winning at this confusing landscape helps you and your pups stand out on the internet. And lastly, we'll be walking you through the important updates you can make to your good breeder profile today that can impact how your program stands out to potential good dog applicants in the future. So without further ado, I will pass things over to Sammy. Thank you so much, Nicole, for the introduction. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really excited that you're excited about this topic. It's really something I care a lot about, think a lot about, spend a lot of time on. So I feel really excited and honored that I get to share some of my musings with all of you. As Nicole said, I'm Sammy. That's my dog, Chewy. I have been working at Good Dog for several years now with this focus on basically bringing in consumers and making it so consumers apply and join your programs but I also bring a decade of product experience focused on similar topics around sort of customer acquisition and customer experience. So super excited to get to apply it to the world of dogs and helping people find dogs and helping you find great customers for your business. So what I wanted to do today is basically talk about how we get to customers. We talked about search engine optimization. That's a very big piece of the puzzle, but we're also going to talk about some other elements as well. But what it really boils down to is basically like, how do we make it so people can find you and find you on Good Dog? And so the first part I'm just going to touch on is around basically like our approach and philosophy to customer acquisition. Then I'm going to dig in more on sort of like the nitty gritty of how search engines work, as well as social advertising as mechanisms to acquire people. I'll also talk about sort of our newest focus around conversion to application, which I know is very important. And then the last piece, like Nicole said, I'm going to try to give you a step-by-step guide for how you can best show up on Good Dog, how you can really stand out in the crowd and make it so people want to work with you and hopefully get a dog from you. So that's the lay of the land. So how do we find people who want dogs? Here's the good dog approach. Basically, we merged together a couple of things. The first is a really deep understanding of our customer mindsets and their needs through interviews and research. And when I say our customers, I mean like all of ours, including yours. So we spent a lot of time just talking to people who are in the process of getting a dog, people who are like just starting to think about it, people who are like starting to figure out what breed they're interested in and people all the way down the line to like, I'm ready to apply. I just have some reservations We talk to them all. And what we want to do is really understand what's important to them, what they value, what's holding them back, basically all the things that really characterize them and make them a clear person to us. And we prioritize that because from there, we can more effectively capture people where they are if we know where they are and what they're thinking about and what's important to them. And so we always prioritize that first over everything else. 
We also invest in a strategy where we capture people in a variety of places. You might have heard this being called like a multi-channel approach. That's what the fancy term is for it. But basically, it just means like we don't rely on one single channel to get to people. We just rely on a bunch of different channels. So we'll talk about Google. We'll talk about different social platforms. And you can imagine from there, we can kind of keep expanding. But the beauty of that is that we're not sort of relying on any single platform. And it means we can capture lots of different people in lots of different situations. And so part of having a multi-channel approach is that you need experts for each of those platforms. And I'll go into a little bit more about like what it means to be an expert, but we basically have invested a lot of time and resource into like really understanding like what does it mean to perform on Google or what does it mean to show up in Facebook? And it's really, there's a lot to unpack there and we spend a lot of time on it. But it's really important because we just want to make sure like the people who truly want dogs, who are really excited about what we could offer them, that like we're showing up for them. And that's really the best way to do that. The last piece of our strategy is just to be experimental. And what I mean by that is we just try to sort of try things out, try out frameworks, try out ways of talking to people and try to do it in small ways just to kind of see if it works or not. And then once we kind of get signal like, hey, like people are really gravitating towards this or hey, like this seems to be working, we can then pursue it more actively. So we try to kind of work in this nimble way to get that signal. And then obviously, like if things don't work, then we can just very easily pivot and then go to the next thing. So a lot of what I'm going to show you today is like been worked through, through this experimentation process, through looking through data, through talking to people. And that kind of drives everything we do on this side of things. So let's get into it. The first surface I want to talk about, or the first way people find dogs is through search engines. So I always put this slide in any SEO presentation I do. It's kind of a silly question because like, I think we all know what Google is. But if you really think about it, like, what is Google? I don't know. It seems very simple on the surface, but it's actually quite complex once you kind of like expand your mind into its like full capabilities. But the way I like to define it is what Google's trying to do is basically take the entire internet and make it accessible and usable to everyone. And I put like three exclamation points here because that's a huge task. We're talking about millions and billions of web pages that all exist out there. They're all, you know, doing their thing. And Google has to somehow organize all of that and make that findable in a way that makes sense to you. And so that's a huge undertaking. And obviously why we rely so heavily on Google search in our lives, because to do that on your own would be a bananas undertaking. The thing that is important to understand, though, is Google is run by human beings. So we always think of it as being sort of this digital product, which it is. But ultimately, like Google has human beings behind it. And so because of that, Google has opinions, values, biases, and they basically use all of those things in order to decide which results or which web pages are more valuable than others. And so I think it's just really important to like really understand this fact that like Google isn't this like pure being. It has to make decisions for us to, to be able to organize the internet, do that first thing we just talked about. And that means it's going to pick certain things over other things. And we may not agree that with Google in terms of that's the best way to decide if that's a better website or not. But ultimately, they are making those decisions. And it's just really critical and valuable for us to understand what that decision making looks like. So I'm going to get into that. Like I said, built by humans, but driven by robots. So a lot of our strategy and thinking about Google is around thinking about these two different audiences, this human audience that's sort of making decisions about what's most valuable and this like robot audience. When I say robot, I mean like the AI or the code that's trying to basically look through, you know, billions of lines of code to try to decipher what's happening. How can we like best communicate to them? And again, I'll get more into this, but I like to sort of set the stage with the human and robot interaction. 
the last thing I wanted to highlight is like, not only is Google finding matches for what we're looking for, but it's also providing a rank. So what I mean by that is when you search for something on Google, the page loads, and then the first thing is right there. And what we know is that things within the first three slots get the lion's share of clicks. And so by Google saying, I'm putting this web page in the top slot, it's effectively saying, I think this is the best page given what you're looking for. And that is really important because you could be a really good website and a really good resource for a certain topic, for example, providing dogs like we are, but it doesn't really matter unless Google thinks that you're the best at doing that thing and therefore ranks you highly. So I don't know if the last time you guys went to page two of Google, like it's not really a thing people do. So really being on that first page, really ranking is also a really critical part of search engine optimization. It's not just about making the match, but also like being viewed as sort of super valuable amongst all options. So I'm going to show you something you've probably seen in one form or another many, many times, which is a Google search. I just wanted to show you this briefly. Again, we've all seen this a lot of times, but it's really interesting to kind of break down the elements that are happening here. So there's kind of three key elements I wanted to make sure we kind of were aware of before we get into the next section. The first is these paid AdWords, which is what you can see on the left. And you can see it, it says like Akita puppies for sale. And there's that little ad term there. So when we talk about paid AdWords or paid ads on Google, this is what we're talking about are these slots that are sort of designated for advertising and they're always at the top of the search. So that's the first thing to kind of keep in mind. The second thing to keep in mind is Google sort of integrates their own products throughout the Google search. So you'll see stuff like this all the time, like this refine the search or this people also ask, like that's Google basically trying to help us as a consumer more effectively get to the answer to our question. So Google will just go ahead and programmatically like enter in those kinds of units throughout. This map is another one. Sometimes they put in these like full Wikipedia units. This is all Google just trying to help people really connect what the answers they are. So along with the results, we also have Google coming in and trying to offer products and services to their customers to basically help them meet their goals. And then the last piece of the equation, which I have here in the middle, are what we call organic search results. And these are the search results that Google are ranking because they think they're the best possible matches for the query or the search you've run. And that is what we're talking about when we talk about search engine optimization, is how you can best rank amongst those organic options. So again, really quick, if we go back, these ad positions are sort of fixed. And then the organic positions are how you can kind of get ahead or find ranking within these positions. And so that's kind of like the anatomy of the page. And so when we talk about search engine optimization, basically what you're doing is you're making specific decisions on how your website is built or what content you provide in order to become the most prominent listing in Google's organic search results. So it's really like the act of like very intentionally kind of going after the fact that you want to rank higher, or you want to show up for certain search terms and taking action against that in terms of how you like go about constructing your website. The big thing about organic search is it's free. It doesn't cost, you know, you don't have to pay anyone to show up. Like if you show up there, it's incredibly valuable. And so you're not like paying for that audience. You're just able to acquire them. But there are so many people vying for those spots because they're so valuable that there's just a ton of technical knowledge that's required in order to basically compete in this space. So it's really hard for someone who like doesn't have a ton of experience or knowledge around SEO to rank super high on really important search terms just because there's just like huge market and ecosystem of people who are only focused on this since it's so important to businesses. So I just say that to say what I'm going to talk about today is a very high level look 
at ways you can go about search engine optimization, but truly to like succeed here, there's a level of technical expertise and knowledge that's required. We work with a fabulous consultant who knows even more about me and like truly can see the whole thing. And it really makes a huge difference in terms of the ability to sort of really capture people. So just wanted to say that out loud. The goal of SEO is basically to make sure people who are interested in your business can readily find it. Makes sense, right? It's like when somebody looks for golden retriever puppy, we want to make sure they find a website that has golden retriever puppies and we are a good website for that. And so like just making sure like that connection fits. It's not about showing up for search results that have nothing to do with our business. Like we're not trying to like sneak it in. We just want to like really show up in places where we truly think that person could be a real customer of ours and really appreciate our business as well as yours. The way you do that is by basically making your website appear as trustworthy and valuable to Google as possible. You basically want to show Google like, hey, I'm a great website. I got great stuff going on here. Nothing fishy. Like people are going to love being here. And so like you should send people here. And that's how Google basically evaluates the value of a website is they'll send people to it. And if they see people are ultimately converting on that website, like by submitting an application or viewing content or something like that, Google thinks like that must have been good for them. They must have had a good experience and therefore that's a good website. And so the more you can signal to Google that like you're able to provide that service and be valuable to people, the more Google is going to kind of rank you and see you as a respectable brand to sort of rank amongst its other brands in search results. So let's get into it a little bit. This is what I'm talking about when I say Google kind of like has opinions and biases. So if we go back, what does it mean to be trustworthy and valuable? You can interpret that in lots of different ways. And so what I'm showing you here is basically how Google interprets it. Again, we could argue like maybe this isn't the best way to interpret it, or there's probably more nuanced ways, but it's just really critical to know how Google evaluates it such that you can kind of like best show up and sort of use it to your advantage. So what is Google looking for from us? The first thing is it just wants us to make sure we're meeting the expectations of users. So if people are like, hey, I'm looking for puppies that are available near where I live, it's really important for Google to be able to see, oh, your website has puppies or breeders that have puppies available near where this person lives. And so you just want to make sure it's like you draw that line of connection really clearly between your website and Google. Like when Google's like, hey, does anyone out there in the universe have puppies near, you know, Clearwater, Florida? We can be like, oh yeah, we definitely have puppies near Clearwater, Florida. Here's what we have. And just like try to make that as clear as possible to Google such that they'll sort of pick us as an option. Google wants pages to have both a lot of content and then pages that are varied from each other. So what do I mean by that? Basically, Google looks at a page and looks at how much text you have on the page and will basically value pages with more text on them over pages with less text. Again, we could argue things like photos and videos and other types of content can be really important, but there's just something about text that Google has always valued. I always say this as, as an anecdote. I don't know if you guys cook recipes online, but have you ever read one of those recipes where someone like tells their like entire life story and then they tell you about how to make bolognese sauce? The reason they're doing that is because they want to rank in Google and they know that the best way to do that is to put in lots of words. So I'm not saying we should like just put in our life stories on everything, but just to give you context, it's once you see it, you can't unsee it kind of thing. Google just wants to see a lot of words. It wants to see a lot of varied words. It wants to see a lot of descriptions. That to them measures into like a more valuable website. And when I say pages that are varied from each other, Google wants to see like across your website if page A is like markedly different than page B, because you could like theoretically look at this and be like, oh, I'll just copy the same web page over and over and over again, and it'll have lots of words and Google will love it. But obviously like that's not super helpful for people 
Google wants to know that your website has depth. It has range of information. And so it's looking for variations. So a lot of times we're focusing on is how to make one page look kind of distinctly different from another page, even if like the structure is quite similar. You also want to show Google your trustworthy and meet user needs. And so we do a lot of what we call trust signaling, which is just kind of representing the fact that, you know, if we don't do scams, your information is secure, all of those things. That's really important for any user, but it's just interesting to consider the fact that it's also important for Google as a user. Like they're looking for that terminology and that signals from your website because they want to ultimately feel really confident when they send someone to your website that they're going to have a good experience. And so that looks for those things. I know we all know that scammy websites still show up, so it's not a perfect science, but it's just one of many mechanisms Google's trying to do. This task of organizing the entire internet, it's just doing its best to try to like do the things it can do. It, it can't be perfected at all the time. Another big thing Google looks for is to see if lots of other websites are linking to your website. Basically, if you think about that, it's just like credibility, right? It's like, oh, hey, I love Good Dog. Like, it was such a great resource for me, Link. This person is saying, like, I vouch for this website. Like, this was a good website. You probably wouldn't link to a website that was terrible, or at least not at like a great scale. And so Google looks for that linking and it looks at that linking as a signal to whether a website is valuable. So we call it backlinks. So if a website has a lot of backlinks, people linking to it, Google will tend to rank it higher. And it also looks for linking within your site. Again, this goes back more to that complexity and like depth of website thing. The idea is like if you're sort of referencing yourself, if there's lots of different sort of mechanisms and ways of working, Google tends to value that more. So links are good. That's the summary of that, basically. You want to make it super clear how the Google robot can read your site. I mentioned this earlier. It's a human. It's a robot. So the robot portion is, again, basically trying to read millions and billions of web pages every single day to try to like evaluate them and figure out what's going on. And so what you can basically do within your code is help the Google robot out by giving them information about how to look at your website. So we call these things like site maps, where you basically say like, hey, Google robot, this is what my website looks like. Here's where you can find this. If you're looking for this, this is where this lives. Let me know if I can help. And so we basically do a ton of work under the hood, things you will never, ever see that are basically targeted just at these Google search robots to basically help them out and make it really easy for them to understand our website, which will improve ranking. Google wants to see that content is always updating and changing. Again, they want to see your website as sort of like a living being. I don't know if you guys remember, but at older internet times, there's like a lot more stagnant pages online. And frankly, I think Google valuing this variation has changed that a lot. But yeah, it just wants to know like you're keeping up with this website. It's fresh. It's relevant. It's most up to date. And so that's part of what's important. And then the last thing is just making sure your pages are fast and mobile optimized. So what I mean by that is like Google actually cares whether your website takes a long time to load, which is cool because it used to be pages would take a long time to load and it'd be really annoying and frustrating. And so basically by Google setting the standard of how fast pages have to be in order to rank, the whole internet has kind of gotten a lot more performant and better. And it makes sense. Like it's not super helpful for you to hit a website that doesn't load very fast or is, you know, really buggy. So that's that. And then the mobile optimized piece is just like a good reminder to us all that most people consume the internet on their phones. Over three quarters of our buyers, when they're coming to the site, are using are on a mobile device. So it's just really important to make sure, and Google cares about this too, that your website works, looks good, and acts right on a mobile device just as well as it does on a computer. And so that's what it means to sort of be mobile optimized. So now that we know what an organic search result is, like this is what an organic search result looks like where we're ranking top for find auction puppies for sale near New Jersey. 
you can see it has the link, it has like the title, and then it has this sort of like little descriptor, and then you can kind of click through. Sometimes you'll see images like you see in a couple items below that's Google sort of scraping it. But ultimately, like this is what we're talking about when we're talking about trying to rank is basically trying to get that first spot amongst the top five or so to really capture a lot of people. And so we'll pivot slightly to this concept of paid AdWords, which is the other element of Google you can play with, which I mentioned earlier, which is basically like Google has sort of taken the highest ranking positions on its page and has made it so you can basically bid money to show up in those slots. And so it's actually how Google search makes its money is through this advertising program. And that's why it's free to you as a service. So we invest quite a bit of money to make sure that we show up in those positions and we bid pretty heavily to make sure that people looking for relevant search, like we are that first result, even if we're kind of paying for that position. It's part of that multi-channel approach where you want to do both ads and SEO. It means that you'll always show up in one way or another, which is why we kind of pursue both routes. The exchange of this is that like we pay money for it, but it more regularly guarantees you a spot. I will say that it is a bidding structure, so it sort of depends on what other websites are willing to pay or who is interested in certain search terms, whether we show up. So it's not always, I can't guarantee every time you run a search that will always show up in that paid position. Basically, what it means to bid is to say, like, we're in the game. And if what we're offering to pay for it is enough and we're not being outbid by someone else, we will show up. And so that's why it can sometimes be a little inconsistent, but just know on the aggregate, we're sort of bidding across the board on lots of different terms. And this is what I mean by this. This is an example of AdWords. We're in the second slot for AdWords here, but you can see it has this like ad marker. So it's really clear that it's like a paid position, but otherwise it looks quite similar to an organic result. It has all the same content and information, but it's just a guaranteed good slots. So that's why we do it. So now that I've kind of like given you what search engines are doing, I want to focus back in on how do people use search engines, particularly when they're looking for a dog. And there's sort of three major use cases we've come across and we've been focusing on in our strategy that I kind of wanted to bring to you. The first thing people tend to use search engines for is what I call like general breed information. So these are people who are just like, what is an Australian shepherd? Or like, how big do Great Danes really get? Or, you know, what do dachshunds eat? Or something like that. These are people who are just trying to understand sort of the characteristics of the breed, maybe the history, you know, maybe information like that. And so you see a lot of searches that are just basically the name of the breed. So I have here like golden retrievers. And these tend to be people who are just trying to like better understand the breed and better understand what it's about to interact with a dog from that breed. And so that's kind of like one type of user. The second type of user are people who are basically like looking for a dog, but aren't really settled on what kind of breed they want, but are more being driven by what attributes are important to them. So a good example of this is we see a ton of searches where dogs that are good with kids, because you can imagine a scenario where someone's like, I could be open to a couple of different breeds, but what's most important to me is like, I have some young kids and I need to make sure whatever breed I get can be with young children. And so we see a lot of people kind of looking in this way for dogs and we try to capture this audience as well. But I would say the audience we sort of most successfully capture to date and what we put the most energy towards is basically this like locating a dog to own person. So this is someone who's like knows what breed they want and are now just trying to figure out like where can I get that specific puppy. So we see a lot of terms like poodle puppies for sale near me or poodle puppies near me. And I particularly want to call out this near me concept because we see this all the time. Like I think people when they for better or for worse, for however we feel about it, people really do think of finding a dog as being a local search. 
And frankly, Google reinforces that assumption. And we see that in a lot of the results and recommendation Google makes. Often when you do a dog search, it'll pop up a map. Google also believes localness is important. And so we've put a lot of energy into making sure we're showing up when people are sort of looking for these dogs, but also looking for them locally. And I'll talk a little bit more about what that means in a bit and also how you can kind of make sure you're showing up in those cases. But it's just become a very important use case for us. All right, everyone, you are listening to the Good Dog Pod. We'll be right back. Enjoy the best of Good Dog from the palm of your hand with the Good Breeder mobile app. Good Breeders can use the mobile app to seamlessly and easily manage their programs on the go. Whether you're shuttling puppies to vet appointments or coordinating airport pickups, you never have to worry about missing a second of managing your program. From the app, you can access your inbox where you can search for a specific conversation with a buyer by name. You can share photos and videos with your applicants directly from your phone. You can match them with a puppy or a litter and send them documents and payment requests directly in the conversation thread. So you can keep all of your applicants information organized and in one place. You can also add and update litters and breeding dogs, request secure deposits and puppy payments, as well as access your profile, account settings, and all of Good Dog's resources, benefits, and support that you know and love from the desktop version. The Good Breeder mobile app can only be accessed by members of our Good Breeder community, and the app is available for both iOS and Android users. You can find it by searching Good Dog Breeder in the Apple or Google Play stores. Download today. So lastly for this section, I just wanted to like highlight We just talked about this stuff, but basically what the impact of doing this is. And so over the past year, we've been spending a ton of energy and time and money on SEO AdWords showing up in Google. And so the result is basically as of January, over one and a half million people came to our website. And that's nothing to sneeze at. That's a pretty large, healthy audience. It's pretty exciting if you think about it that way. And this is a 50% increase year over year. So even if, just to put it in perspective, we really increase our audience by, you know, half of itself. And this number keeps getting bigger all the time. You know, month over month, we kind of continue to see gains. What's nice about SEO is it's an investment and it can kind of keep getting better over time. And so it's nice to kind of see that compounding growth. So again, ton of people coming to our website, so much of it coming from a Google as an audience. It's our top acquisition channel, basically. I should have maybe put this more clearly, but that's where most of the people coming to Good Dog, looking for a dog are coming from is from these Google searches. And then the last thing I wanted to highlight is we basically average in the top three results for dog-related searches on Google in most cases that we're interested in, which kind of goes back to that point I was talking about with rank, where we're pretty successful at being amongst the top three results. And again, studies show that over 50% of all clicks come from those first three results. So it's like really critical that we show up there. And on average, we usually do. And so that's a huge gain for all of us in terms of capturing the attention of people. Okay. That was the Google of it all. Let's talk a little bit about social media advertising. This is slightly different, but it's still really important and critical. It's just another acquisition channel for us. And it's really important because the average person spends two and a half hours a day on social media. So what's unique about social media is that's a very engaged and captured audience versus Google. You know, no one's spending two and a half hours on Google a day. That's more of a quick move through kind of audience versus like something like Facebook really captures a ton of attention. And I mentioned here Meta, which is Facebook and Instagram, really like ranks amongst that most time spent. And so that's comes a really important platform. So we at Good Dog have really focused our energy in terms of social advertising on Facebook and Instagram, just given 
generally so many people are spending time there. And what we've seen is that people who are interested in dogs often refer to Facebook and Instagram being sort of major sources for them to get inspiration, to learn more about the dogs, to understand. So, and I'm sure you all know this as well. It's just like a really major platform for this space. What's great about Meta is they do a really great job of integrating their ads into the website or app in such a way where it just feels like more content, which is super important in advertising. Because I think we all know that feeling when you like that website is just full of ads. It doesn't tend to be a good connotation. But I also think we've all had like positive experiences with advertising in our life. I don't know about you, but I've bought all sorts of crazy stuff off of Instagram because of, you know, the ads I get because they're really good or really compelling. And so I think what's exciting about Meta is they're just like particularly good at creating ad products where we can like really insert ourselves and that people are really excited to engage. And so it's been a great investment for us. And like I said, so many people are just already going to social media looking for inspiration for a dog. It's just, again, going back to that point of meeting people where they are and understanding our audience, it just makes sense for us to advertise there. So our approach is that we spend significantly to run ads across Facebook and Meta. And we really focused on this message of connecting people with great breeders. These ads run across like Instagram stories and Facebook feeds. You'll see them all over the place. And we basically target people we think are interested in dogs based on the algorithm of it all. We sort of focus our advertising in that way. We also retarget people who've come through the site looking at a specific breed and basically give them specific breed advertising. So let's say you clicked on one of our ads for a Labrador retriever. We'll then next time you come through, show you an ad that's more targeted around Labrador retrievers. You all may have had this experience before where you like look at a pair of shoes and then like everywhere you go, all of a sudden those shoes are showing up in those ads. It's a little bit like that. It's a little bit annoying, but honestly, it's frankly really effective. And it makes it so our advertising feels more realistic to that person and focused on their needs. We tend to really focus our advertising on what really matters to our customers. So from talking to them in surveys, we've come to really understand what's important to them or what makes them nervous about the process. So safety and availability tends to be the top reasons, things people care about when they're thinking about looking for a dog. And so we tend to focus our advertising on those topics so it really connects with people and feels meaningful. And similar to everything else we do, we just experiment here. We try things. We roll out ideas to smaller groups of audiences and see how it does. And then when things work, we just invest. And so that's been a really successful pattern for us. So these are just two examples of our social media advertising. This isn't everything. I just wanted to give you like a taste of it. This one on the left, find responsible readers near you. This is more targeting that desire for safety, for potentially worry about working online, really connecting with the fact that we have great breeders like all of you. Versus this ad on the right, your best friend is waiting, is a little bit trying a strategy more of like tugging on the heartstrings, making it feel more like an emotional connection. There's lots of different ways you can connect with people. And that's part of the strategy too, is putting out a lot of different types of messages and kind of seeing what sticks. So that's social media advertising. Like I said, we invest in it. We do it so you don't have to. It can be quite expensive. It's also quite technically involved. We have someone in-house whose whole job is to figure this out, but it really does create a lot of value and it's able to get a lot of people to good dog. So the last thing I want to talk about is the fact that, okay, so we like have all of these people coming to the website. What now? And so given the fact that we focused so much on this acquisition strategy over the past year or so, 
we're really excited by where we've landed in terms of getting people to good dog. But we all know that's half the battle or maybe a piece of the battle. And that a really critical piece is like people need to apply and people need to reach out in order to move them towards placement and ultimately getting them a puppy placing your puppies. And so now that we have so many visitors, the focus of my team and my group is really around making it so those visitors actually apply. And so that's what we call conversion, basically the act of converting from visitor to applicant. And so we've really focused on trying to streamline and make the process of application really clear and very feel accessible. So we're just trying to make it so people feel like they know what to do. They feel confident. It's super clear what they need to do next and what the expectations are. And so we've just been investing pretty heavily on that front. The other thing we focus on is basically how we can like help people, potential buyers with their questions or concerns up front, things that are stopping them from this or things that are giving them pause so that they feel ready and then they'll start to engage with all of you. And so these are kind of like two ends of the strategy. There's more elements we're continuing to work through every day, but the outcome we're hoping to see over the next several months is that more of these visitors should be turning into applicants because of this investment. Okay, so let's get to the part where you can do something. That's what I want to focus on in this section is some really practical things you can do, not only to help us as a website stand out on Google such that you get traffic, but purely from a standpoint of attracting applicants to your litters or your program. And so I have a couple big things here and I'll talk through kind of each one and then in terms of how you can do it and what does it mean to kind of do it successfully. So the first one I really wanted to highlight is making sure people know that you are a local option is like one of the most important things you can do on our website. I mentioned this earlier, Google has a strong bias for local puppy searches and humans have a strong bias for local puppy searches. Again, you know, we all know that there are options beyond local, but the fact of the matter is most people are thinking local first. And what our website ultimately will do is show you local options, but also show you non-local options. So it's not narrow, but it's important that we can sort of meet that initial expectation or show all the local options we can, just given that that's what people are looking for. So nine out of 10 people come through one of our localized state or city pages, which I'll show you in a second, but those pages are basically programmed to really focus on this local traffic. And you can see like that's basically the majority of our traffic. The first page they see on Good Dog is one of these like state or city pages. And we have thousands of city pages for every breed on our website. So sometimes when we talk about like localness, we think like, oh, the big city near me, and maybe that's not so near you given on where you live. But I'm telling you, like we have so many places (laughs) covered on our web pages that you might not think are there, but they are. And so it's not just about proximity to sort of these like major metro areas, but truly like we are able to surface local results as local as potentially a town next door to you or even where you live, just depending on the area you live in. So just something to think about, like when I talk about local, it's really just beyond the scope of just the big city near you. The last thing I want to highlight is a third of all applications are submitted from these state or city pages. So not only are like a ton of people coming in on these pages, a huge portion of them are applying from these pages. So again, like it just everything here signals that localness matters. And of course, you're not going to be a local option for every person, but you are certainly going to be a local option to some person or some group of people. And it's just really critical that you just show up in that case and that you really are like represented in that case if someone's looking for a specific breed of dog in their area that you're amongst the options. So just to give you an example of what I'm talking about, this is what our state page looks like. So for Shih Tzus, this is like basically listing Shih Tzus near Florida. And so people come in on this page and we're basically showing them dogs. When we say near Florida, we basically mean within the state. 
the city page basically takes this one step further and basically says, okay, I want to look sea dogs that are near Clearwater, Florida. Again, that's not a major metropolitan area, but we're able to kind of drill down and give that level of specificity. We basically have composed our city pages based on census data about like population. And so it's really targeted to make sure like it's actually covering where people live and care about on the aggregate. And when I say like near Clearwater, Florida, we always show sort of the closest result first. But even if you're like 50 miles or 100 miles from there, you're still eligible to show up on this page. So it doesn't have to be like your next door, but really anything you can do to help us understand where you are, the more likely it is we can help you show up on a page that's most relevant given your location. And again, given that's so important to people, it's like therefore important in terms of sort of showing up. So in terms of what you can do, the biggest thing I would ask you to do is to just make sure your city and state are listed in your profile. Zip code is not necessary. It's here, but that's bonus points for that. At the very minimum, your state helps us to at least kind of help people know like generally what state you're in. But city is really huge. That's how people think about their searches in terms of mileage and distance. And the more information we can gather, the more we can inform and the more we can have you show up. So if you just go to edit profile, the about section, and then you scroll down to address, all you need to do is just add that in or make sure this is up to date and relevant and save changes and you're good to go. You'll start showing up on all these local pages. That's easy as that. So that's number one. The second thing is always having great pictures of your puppies. As Nicole alluded to at the top, puppy pictures are so important. And I think at some level, we kind of all understand that, that there's like such an emotional connection and feeling you get when you see a puppy picture, especially a puppy that's like particularly interesting or exciting to you. And what we've seen in the data is that having a picture of a puppy increases the amount of applicants you can receive by one and a half times. So like, that's a huge difference. And we just see in all the research we do, people tend to just want to engage with breeders, with programs where they can see the puppies and really like feel what's being offered. And so I'm going to jump down to this third point and then I'll come back. The other thing to keep in mind is our system actually takes into account whether you have puppy photos as part of our ranking. So if you ever wonder when you hit a page like, oh, you know, why is this person in maybe this slot versus this one? It's part of that goes into that equation is whether you or not you have puppy photos. And so obviously, like you can still definitely show up without them, but we're just going to favor people with them again, given how effective they are at getting applications and how important they are. And so that's just like another angle of this. It's like not only important to buyers, it's like important in terms of like showing up in our system. So in terms of what I would recommend, a photo is better than no photos. That's number one. So I just would recommend you get photos in there, even if your puppies are super young or you haven't quite yet gotten the setup that you want to like do the photos. Some photo that really helps at least represent to some degree, like who this dog is, what they look like, anything like that makes a huge difference. What I generally recommend is you can definitely start with newborn photos, but that updating the photos around six weeks is a really important step just because I've surveyed and talked to a lot of people about this, but around six weeks is when the puppy starts to kind of look like itself a little bit more. We all know like newborns of any species look a little bit like a whole other thing. So I recommend if you haven't already placed that dog by six weeks to just update the photo. Again, we just tend to see more traction and interest in slightly older puppy photos so people can more readily picture like what this puppy's going to look like and, and be in, like in their home. 
And the last point here sort of related to this is I just want to underscore that customers also love sire and dam photos. Those are really important, especially when you have little, little puppies, because they look at those as a way to sort of signal like what the puppy might look like as a full grown. Obviously, it's not a perfect science, but a lot of times we'll see it in the research. People will be like, oh, like, let me just see what mom and dad look like. And then I'll decide whether that's good for me. So I just recommend keeping these up to date as well, making sure they're also really great photos as well, because even without puppy photos, these can be really helpful. And then what makes a great photo of a puppy? The biggest thing is just making really clear in the photo that this is the puppy you're talking about. So having them be centered, in focus, and the only puppy in the photo is like the biggest things I can recommend. Because when we sort of show the puppy photo, we're like kind of representing it as the puppy. And you just want to make sure people know what you're talking about, basically. And it's like really clear to them. And you want to show off the puppy's most important attributes, like their face, their coat. You'll know better than me what it is, but you just really want to highlight what makes this puppy special and really think about if someone was to see a photo of this puppy, like what they would care about and just make sure you're highlighting that. Take a picture of them in a natural environment where they're comfortable and happy. So taking pictures on your phone in the backyard is excellent. It doesn't have to be a huge operation. Obviously, professional photos are awesome too. They're just like very good at creating this circumstance, but you can totally do this with the technology and your setup that you have, but just try to capture environments where your puppy looks happy and comfortable and natural. And last thing I ask is just to avoid adding any text to your photos, just because the photos can show up quite small, it just makes it so it's harder to really see what's going on in the image and it distracts people. And we provide all the name and litter information about your dogs. You shouldn't have to do this. Like it's part of the page. I just recommend just really focusing on just a very clear picture of a photo of the puppy. And just to show you in context, we use the puppy photos in search results. So this is when people land on the page. This is what they see. This is what they're scrolling through. We also have our puppy modal, which is what you get when you click on one of these. This is where most people apply from is the puppy modal. And so this just gets a lot of attention and it makes sense. Like this is what people care about. And so just making sure your photo looks really good in these contexts can be really helpful. We also put it in sort of other contexts to sort of help in our application, like to help understand your preference. We'll sometimes, we'll show puppies. So it's just to say like this shows up in a lot of different places. You can see it's a lot of different sizes and it's just worth it to sort of make sure your puppy photos look really good in these contexts as much as you can. So you can add photos as part of litter creation. I have this here. Basically when you add a puppy, there's always an option to add a photo. So you can do it right at the beginning when you have a born litter, but you can also come back and update it at a later date, like I talked about. So if you go into your dashboard and you go into litters, you can go in and update each puppy with a photo. So just great photos, keep them up to date. It really makes a huge difference. Include as much information about your puppy and litter as possible. The more you can kind of tell us about the color of your dog, in your description of the puppy, kind of like really spelling out like what makes this puppy special and unique and exciting. Customers tend to gravitate towards puppies that have this information. Like this is ultimately what they're going to be interested in anyway. And so the more information you tend to give, the more likely it is they'll be to apply and feel comfortable with applying. Just having really clear names is really helpful because it's just, again, people are looking at lots of dogs, something that will help them sort of like remember them and be able to identify them. And like I said, most applications start at the puppy modal. So that's really your best chance to stand out and make an impression is to just have a lot of great puppy information. So you can see here, we list breed and gender, when it's ready, color. But even as you dig in, we talk about how you can get the puppy, like more information about you as a breeding program. So I just recommend you take a look at the puppy modal and really like think about how it looks for you and your puppies and make sure you're happy with it because that really is sort of like the way people are consuming or basically deciding whether to apply or not is from this view. 
And then you can update your puppy information by just like going into the specific puppy in your dashboard and all this information lives within here, the description, the color, all that information. So just recommend you go in and take a pass at that. Another thing on the photo front is make sure your profile photo as well as your interview photo are of you and your face. So people just like want to work with other humans. That's like a big reason why people come to Good Dog. It's a big reason why people want to work with breeders is like they want to know like who's the person behind the program. And really, we see a lot in the research, people just tend to gravitate towards profiles and programs where it's like, oh, it's clear to me like who the person is or who the family is or the group is that's running this. And so you can definitely like have a dog in your photo. I'm not saying that, but just make sure like you're a very clear part of that photo and What we also tend to see is people tend to have better recall of breeders if they have a photo associated. So it's just good for you all around. A couple of places it shows up in the search results, in the puppy modal. This interview photo is an additional photo we use. We show this in the puppy modal. Again, it's just meant to really like highlight you as an individual, connect you as a human being. Take a quick selfie and upload it. It makes a huge difference. If you go to edit profile about and then profile to add or change your photos so you can update your profile photo as well as this interview photo. So highly recommend you do that. Revisit your transportation options. So three out of four customers who come to our site have at least some interest in getting a dog through a means of transportation. And this varies widely from people who want interest in potentially in flight nannies or air cargo or ground transport. But it also is people who like want to potentially meet you at your airport or meet you halfway. It kind of covers the gamut. But if you think about the fact that so many people are thinking locally and the opportunity to think beyond locally has a lot to do with the transportation options, it just makes you a more interesting potential candidate amongst many if you at least offer some optionality in how people can receive dogs. Obviously, like you all know your programs best. There's mitigating circumstances here. You can offer what you can offer. It's totally fine. What I'm just suggesting here is just to like reflect on it and think about it. Take a look back through our options around what transport options we offer and just consider whether you'd be willing to like extend them or make sure they're up to date and reflect the reality. In general, we're going to start working towards increasing ranking of people who have transportation options because it's so important to customers. It's definitely your call, but just something to consider. We show transportation in lots of places because it's so important. So on the search result, there's like, if you click on it, there's like a big card with all this information about all the transport options. We spell it out really clearly in the puppy modal. So we cover all your bases. If you're interested in taking a look, just go to edit profile transportation, and then you can add or edit what we call a delivery option in here to make it work. And that's it. That's plenty, I think. We're here to help you. Nicole mentioned at the beginning, good dog specialist. Everybody's here and wants to like help you succeed on good dogs. So please reach out if you have any questions about anything we talked about today, anything this makes you think about. We are here to help. I'm happy to help. And yeah, I just really appreciate the opportunity to get to talk to you all. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sammy. I'm so glad we could have you join us for that deep dive into some of the everyday behind the scenes at Good Dog and all of the work we're doing for our breeders. One of my biggest takeaways from this conversation is that making yourself found on the internet is very important, but it can also be extremely difficult to do as well as costly. And this is probably the understatement of the century, but the internet is also just a big place. And it feels like it's always getting bigger with more and more channels that buyers are using for their dog search. And being a source of truth and transparency in that search is what we're always working to do at Good Dog. Investing in things like paid AdWords and social media campaigns like Sammy shared more about is very expensive. And not only that, it also requires 
a strong level of expertise to understand how to reach relevant potential customers and also retarget the right audience. Breeders have a ton on their plates already, and search engine optimization should just not be one of them on top of all of these other aspects of a breeding program that breeders are juggling in their day to day. And that's really one of the reasons why Good Dog exists is to provide this as a completely free service to breeders and take all of that guesswork and cost out of maintaining your business through a personal website. Everything about Good Dog's platform, from the way our information is presented to the way it looks, all of that has been thoughtfully designed by our team to win over Google, like Sammy was sharing, and in turn have a trickle-down effect that eventually leads to the Good Dog applicants that are actually submitting applications to your program. We also have an incredible team that's constantly experimenting with our ranking and acquisition strategies and thinking about how we can improve even more. A huge value for us at Good Dog is never resting on our laurels. We're always trying to tweak and experiment with things so that we can ensure we're always working better for you. So I just wanted to close this conversation and wrap a nice bow around it with something from one of our community members named Beverly, who's one of our good breeders. And she shared with us that thanks to Good Dog, I have obtained quality buyers from all over the U.S. that I may not have received if I just had a web page. Thank you so much, Good Dog. I hope one of the many things listeners take away from this conversation, because I think we shared so many valuable things about what Good Dog is doing to help bring you the applicants that we do, what you can do to your profiles that can have such a strong impact on the way applicants connect with you and see you. But beyond all of that, I just want to remind everyone listening to this that our free resources are here for you at Breeders, and they were created for you. They're here to help your programs run more efficiently, and ultimately allow you to spend more time doing what matters most, which is raising the incredible dogs that you do and finding the best homes possible for them, which in and of itself is an enormous amount of work. And Good Dog is here to really support you every step of the way through that process. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune into this week's episode. We really enjoyed this opportunity to share more with you about the behind the scenes work that's happening at Good Dog every single day to help bring our breeders the best applicants possible and look forward to continuing to have many more conversations like these in the future. Thank you again for listening, for tuning into this episode, and we will see you back here on April 5th for our next podcast episode, which is all about howling and dog vocalization. So we'll see you then. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Good Dog Pod. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode, so be sure to subscribe to The Good Dog Pod on your favorite podcast platform.